Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Evening. Good evening, Minister Pickway. Thank you so, so much for that powerful charge and that powerful prayer session. Good evening, my tribesmen, my own personal people. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good evening. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. How are we doing? I hope we're all doing good. I hope our week has been good so far. Um, and I hope we are all um, loving life and, and seeing good days um, over the course of this week, just on different people's different people's statuses. I've just been saying that, um, is this me sharing the video? Okay, someone is sharing. Is this me sharing video? Okay, this is Uluwa Femi Samuel, okay. Um, so we've just been saying, um different people saying oh i love life and i see good days <laughs> you know some people say hmm i love life i see good days like i see something has happened but this is my conclusion and I just and i just thought that was really really beautiful you know people reinforcing you know what they have learned and what really their reality is regardless of what's happening you know around you know nigeria is not happening to us you know zion is happening to us hallelujah so that's just to say welcome welcome to come again um and we hope to have an amazing time in God's presence tonight. Um, I just want to start by, by thanking Pastor for this highly revered opportunity to bring the word. I mean, it's not, um, it's, it's you know, bringing the word or being called and being chosen to, to bring God's word to God's people is not, is not really a, is not a, an assignment that should be looked upon with, you know, it should, be, it should be taken with very high reverence and it should also, you know, it can't be overstated, the weight of that assignment. And it's with that same reverence, that deep reverence that I celebrate Pastor for um, and thank him really for, 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 for the privilege and extending the privilege to, to bring the word tonight. Thank you so, so much, sir. Um, God bless you abundantly. I also celebrate in the same breath every pastor. Um, my brothers in, in, the, in the faith and my brothers were doing ministry together, Pastor Nonso, Pastor AY, and, and Pastor Itoro. Um, can we just celebrate, you know, all our pastors, starting from our senior pastor, the angel of God to us, and, and every pastor um, in the PowerPoint tribe. You know, God, has, God loves us so much by the, by the kind of, you know, pastors, the, the hearts, the skillful hands, the heart of integrity, the love, you know, that our pastors have for God and for us, you know, is, is just so beautiful to see. So I celebrate you, sirs, um, and I honor you um, deeply. I also celebrate every LXL members uh, and every DC member, and of course, uh, the leading tribesman, um, even if you're not part of the DC, although we hope that you soon join the, the, the company. Okay, so we're still on the third we're still on the third chapter of Romans, um, and you know the, the chapter of the chapter three of Romans is sort of broken into. Before I progress, can can we all hear me? You can all hear me, right? Clear, loud and clear. Great, 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 great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so um, so we're still on the third chapter of Romans, and chapter three of Romans is sort of broken into. Uh, three different conversational themes, and over the last two weeks, um, we've explored the first conversational theme, which spans from verses one 
um, through to eight. Uh, and um, Pastor, you know, opened up the chapter, you know, by by admonishing us, you know, teaching us about how to become an oracle of God. And one of the strong, you know, admonitions that came out of that teaching um, uh, two weeks ago is that we all, you know, as believers should be committed to transferring the truth of God across generations. It's it's an assignment that we have been called to. The Bible says that we are ministers of reconciliation. And so what that essentially means is carrying on, you know, the truth of God and bearing on our bodies and our hearts and in our mouths, you know, the truth of God and carrying on that responsibility and that burden as well to transmit that truth and that revelation of God that we've received to the next generation, to the next generation. And so it doesn't stop with you. You know, I link that up with, with um, what Pastor shared, you know, when, during the during the R116 um, campaign. And he said that, you know, you know, when we receive, and I'm paraphrasing now, but when we receive the gospel, the gospel must not stop with you. It must not stop at your station. You must not pack the gospel. But you 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 must also transmit it. You must, it, it the, the, the gospel, the bust of the gospel is not you. You know, you are just you are just a passing phase. So the, the, the gospel passes through you to the next person. It must pass through you. So the book, the book doesn't stop with you. Hallelujah. You must pass it. You must pass it on. And then last week, you know, um, you know, running through verses three to eight, Pastor Nonso also gave us a strong charge, you know, about embracing the truth of God. You know, and, and really one of the things he said, you know, is that, you know, he kept on emphasizing is that, you know, God is true. Let God be true. And let every, every other man is a liar. Every man is a liar. And, and he began to see how he started to translate those things to, you know, that truth, that cardinal truth and that foundational truth to our Christian conduct, how we live our lives. You know, we would not say that we will continue to sin because, you know, our sin would now justify God, just justify rather God's truth and God's goodness. You know, that's just that's just a lie and that's just blasphemy, right? Um, that the truth of God, in in fact, is supposed to compel us to live our lives in a certain way and according to you know God's precepts and God's yeah God's God's will really. And really, one of my key cont- contemplations from you know that last week's service is, is that you know. God is true because of his everlasting nature. That's that's really why God is true. God is true because he rests on his everlasting nature and that perspective of being everlasting. So so is is true because God doesn't change. He's steady across time. You know, in fact, it doesn't even exist in time. So and men lie because we lie because of our transient nature because things change. You know, I'll the life of man, the era of man, the dispensation of man is by itself transient. A man is here today, he's not here tomorrow. Um, so you see, you are in 2020, next year is 2021. So there is the volatility of things, things just change. And then there is also the short span of things. So when we embrace that transient nature as human beings, we lie. And so you have two camps, you have unbelievers and then you have believers. And for unbelievers, unbelievers do not have any other perspective to lean on apart from the perspective of, of man. And that is transient, right? The limited perspective, our limited perspective in terms of time, we can't see far, we can't see so deep, we can't see so far out. You know, our temporary circumstances, we are going through something today and we really think that because I'm so much in the heat of something, 
this is everything that my life is going to be about because I am so sick. Or I am I, my body is so my body is so hot. Momentarily, I sort of think that you know, this is all life is about now. I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm I'm weak. You know, and it's it's a temporary circumstance. Not not knowing that if you you know stand on the word of God and for example a promise that says that by stripes you have already been healed. What happens is that that transient nature then gives into the perspective of God and it changes. And let's even say that you don't even stand on the word of God and you just give it some time. Maybe you rest. Once you're done resting, you see that it changes. Like you're, you're done resting, you're feeling better. It has changed. Your situation has changed. You're no longer sick. You're stronger. Um, just because our circumstances are by themselves very transient. And it's something that we must learn that it's it's what I see today is not what will be forever. It will change, you know? And so when a man embraces, you know, his, his temporary circumstance and doesn't see beyond that, he, he lies. He, he does things that contradict or contravene the will of God. And the last reason why we lie is the overestimation of other men. You overestimate other men. You do not, you know, the Bible says that the Lord, the Lord is my light of my, my salvation. He says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So when we estimate God and we so we overestimate other men above God, what happens is that we lie. So we are trying to you know save face in front of some other people. We lie because we overestimate those people above God. That's that's essentially why we lie. But the Bible says God is true. So for unbelievers, there is no other reason. Um, they, they don't have any other perspective apart from uh, essentially apart from that. They don't have any other perspective. That's the only perspective they have. That limited perspective. But the believer has two perspectives. We can, we can either, there's two options. There's the perspective of God, which is readily available to us. And then there is the perspective of men. And we can decide to pander um, to these different perspectives. It's, it's your prerogative. You can decide to, to, you know, the Bible says, I've said before you life and death. You know, God encourages you to choose life. But the fact is that there is still the option of death there. And based on, the perspective that you feel you can you can choose life or death by your actions and by your words. So the more a man gains perspective into the everlasting nature of God and the perspective of God, the more he stops lying because I know that God has all authority. I, you know, God is higher than any man. I don't need to lie to any man. I don't need to I don't need to violate God's will just to please a man. You know, God knows everything and God has said he has already called me victorious even from the beginning even before I was born you know he has finished it and he ends in victory so I really do not although yes I'm going through a transient situation I know that it's working out a far with a far heavier weight of glory and so I don't lie and you know again I'm plugged into the perspective of God and so those are the two things that you know those are well that is one of the things I learned from from last week's session um thank you so much again Pastor so for that strong, strong word. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. So without further ado, we are going to be progressing to um, the next conversational theme um, in Romans, and that's Romans 3 from verses 9. Uh, I mean, the converse, that conversation, that breath of thought spans from verse 9 to 20. So and we'll, we'll just start and see how far we go. If we don't cover it, you know, we'll leave. We'll just leave. We'll stop where we, we stop. Hallelujah. We'll stop where time affords us to, to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory and praise. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of access and the, 
the 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 privilege of being called your sons and daughters and being able to gather at your feet. Thank you, Father, for your word that has come to us today. Thank you, Father, because your word indeed has come accompanied with your strength, accompanied with your Holy Spirit, accompanied to, with, with liberty to live out everything we hear, accompanied with understanding. Thank you, Father, because even as we hear this word, we declare a release and a, a heavy supply of your spirit furnishing and finishing us in accordance to what we are hearing. And Lord, we declare in the name of Jesus that even beyond this service, this word begins to interact with every revelation that we've heard before time and begins to consolidate in our lives and begins to bear fruit in multiple folds. And Lord, I declare, I pray over my heart and over my mouth today, I declare that utterance is given unto me and I declare that your word has free course from my heart to my mouth and from my mouth everyone to the heart of everyone listening here today thank you father because indeed we are edified we are strengthened we are encouraged um to the glory of your name in jesus mighty name of prayed. amen and amen glory to god hallelujah praise god so um the title because i have i have realized that i do not i always forget the title so i've 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 embodied i've embodied it in my notes right now that Say the title, oh, exactly. That's what I said. That's what I wrote. I always forget this. So the title of, of the of the of our contemplation tonight is the evolution of sin and law. That's that's the title, and it's consistent with, of course, the the span of thought that Apostle Paul was sharing here. And one of the things, again, we get to appreciate about the Book of Romans, you know, um, is 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 the fact that more than every other book that Apostle Paul, every other letter that Apostle Paul wrote, rather, the book of Romans is so dense with legal jargon. It's it's really, really, it's really, really dense. So, for example, last week when Pastor Nonso was teaching and was reading through, I think, from verses from verses 4 to verse 8, it was a lot of legal, if this, then this, like, it's, it's, it's replete with so much legal register. And one of the encouragements I got from that is, I mean, Paul had trained under Gamaliel, right? Um, he had trained under Gamaliel in in a, in a like so he got sort of his legal nuance and all of his understanding of legal frameworks and all of that from his training under Gamaliel. Gamaliel. And what you what you then realize is in after his conversion, this knowledge and this experience that he has gotten with Gamaliel or he got with Gamaliel was very instrumental to the writing of the book. Because you remember, I think it was either Apostle Paul, is it was the Apostle Peter that said, see, go and read this guy's book. There's there are some things, there are some things that there are some mysteries that God has given this man called Apostle Paul that they are hard to understand. Even we we cannot understand it because we are fishermen. Like we are not so taught in this in this complexity of understanding to be able to you know, comprehend what it is that Apostle Paul is writing. And he just he was able to do that because of the training that he had undergone, you know, prior time with, with, with Gamaliel. So and it was just an encouragement, you know, that there is a part of our history and there is a part of our training and a part of our experience that God would build for the purpose of the gospel. So when, when, you, when you come to God with all of you, there is a part that is uniquely us, uniquely me uniquely you that god would choose to wield for the purpose of the gospel and that it just adds more color to the gospel i mean that that's one of the color that apostle paul brought you know that no other you know apostle no other 
apostles, even the ones that were around and were with Jesus in the flesh and blood, you know, did not have. And so it's just an encouragement for someone here, you know, you're not, your, your, your experience and your history and your history before coming into Christ is not a total write-off. There is something about you, there is something that is uniquely you that God will choose to build for the expansion and for to push the frontiers of the gospel forward. And I really hope that you believe that and receive that uh, in Jesus' name. So let's start. Um, Romans 9, Romans 3, rather, verse 9, from verse 9 to, and I'm just going to read the breadth of scripture so that we get the idea, and then we'll now start going verse by verse, exegesis. So from verse 9 to 20, it says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are also as swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Since now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. So let's start from verse 9. It says, what then? Are we better than they? They here being the Jews. It says, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, that they are all on the scene. So I'm just going to be reading a verse and then sharing the thoughts you know, from that from that particular verse. And the first thought we see here is the fact that when it comes to Christianity, nobody really has a, a, hopper, a, hop, a upper hand or an upper hand. Nobody has an upper hand. There is a charge on everybody. God has put a charge on everybody. Bible says that God, as we have previously charged, that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all on the scene. So every Jew, every Greek already has a charge on their head already, that they are on the scene. So Christianity doesn't afford anybody an upper hand. And we'll see why. We'll see why, you know, Christianity doesn't afford that, you know. So there are different charges we see in scripture. I mean, there's a charge where Apostle Paul will tell, you know, his disciples that I charge you, and that's like a command. But the charge as used here by Apostle Paul is not like I command you or I admonish you or I encourage you. The charge here as used here is actually a legal term that means an accusation, that means sort of like um, um, an adjudication, like a, a, sent a conclusion of a matter. So you've been charged. So you've been charged, meaning that you've already been accused. You know, you've, you've been formally sentenced to a particular, yeah, sentenced to a particular, yeah, to a, I'm going to say to a particular sentence, but you, you get it. So we've been, you've been sentenced, you know, and the Bible here says that there is already a charge on both Jews and Greeks, that they are all on the scene. Praise God. So both Jews and Greeks are on the scene. So Jews don't have a privilege over the Greeks, and neither do the Greeks have a privilege over the Jews. Praise God. So the seed of Christianity was sown in, I mean, Adam and Abraham, you know, God told Eve that, you know, a seed would bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise the, 
as the seed here. And that seed is not really, you know, um, Abel or Cain. And then when even God was telling Abraham that he, in you, in your, in you, would all the nations be blessed. That person, because when you read Galatians, when you read Galatians, you then begin to understand that the seed that God is talking about, or the in him that God was talking to Abraham about, wasn't really, you know, his sons, wasn't really, um, wasn't really any anybody to him in that sense. The, the person that God was actually talking about was the Lamb of God that had been slain from the foundation of the world. And that is the seed that God was talking about, talking to you know Adam and Eve, and also talking to Abraham. Galatians three nineteen says that the seed shall come, you know, to whom the promise was already made. So Christianity relates to an entire new life in Christ. It's a community of new men. So there is no there is no upper hand that the Jews already have over the over the over the Greeks, or the Greeks already have over the Jews. So, and the reason for that charge, the reason why God placed that charge on both, you know, Jews and Greeks is so that there will be a basis for inclusion. There will be a basis for inclusion. Because if the charge was only laid on the Greeks or on the unbelievers, then the Jews can lay a claim and say that, and say that you know, we, we, you know this, this, this Christianity belongs to us. So there is there is no reason why there is no reason, and that's the reason why you know when God told Apostle Peter you know to go to you know Cornelius as an Apostle Peter was really struggling with the whole thing, and then you know he grudgingly went to Cornelius's house to go and preach to them. And the Bible says while he was preaching, he was already giving the excuse you know that because you know we are Jews, so actually this thing actually belongs to us. You know, but God has already said that He shall will come to you. He says while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit descended on them and filled them. Because the Holy Spirit wanted to override that thought. Because the Jews have that thought that, see, we, we have, this thing belongs to us. This thing is, you know, Christianity is, is, is our own, is our birthright. Is our birthright. And it's so funny that because they, it's so funny that they hold that thought, ironically, when Jesus actually came on the scene, they were the chief antagonist of the same seed. So they were not even discerning and they could not even see that the Jesus or the, 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 the actual heritage that you so boast of as to inherit, you can't even recognize it when it shows up. You can't recognize it when it shows up. So the charge was necessary to create a basis of inclusion where nobody can lay a charge and, and say, oh, um, you know, you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to be a Christian because you're not, you're not of a particular heritage. I mean, if the charge was only laid on, on, on Greeks or unbelievers, then some of us would even struggle to be to be saved today. Because what would have happened is Christianity would have just stayed in 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 the manner, you know, in the Middle East and probably in North Africa, and we might, maybe not have spread. But the appreciation that you know Christianity does not inherently belong to anybody is not anybody's quote and unquote best right. It is open to all because a charge was laid on all. So Christianity is open to all. Christianity is a solution for everybody because a charge was put on everybody. Hallelujah, I hope you're following me. So Christianity was necessary to create a basis for inclusion. And the second thing is Christianity, that charge rather was also necessary to remove the excuse of exclusion. So some people will say that, oh, you know, these guys, 
already, you know, you know, God has, you know, it's it's already for them. You know, God has written from the foundation of the world that it's it's you know it's for them, it's their own. So why, why would I join? You know, it's it's hard. You know, there is something in them because it's their birthright. There is something in them that makes it easy for them to live the Christian life. Why well, I can't live the Christian life because they were not charged, but I was charged. So I can't live the Christian life. It's easier for them to live the Christian life because you know God sort of gave it to them as a birthright. So at a particular year, you know, they will enter and then. They are, they are the only ones that have that low barrier of entry. Every other person has a high barrier of entry. So it, it, it begins to create that excuse of exclusion if that charge was not laid on everybody. But the Bible says that the scripture has confined all on the sin. It says the reason why the scripture has confined all on the sin is so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. So that the only criteria now for coming into Christ, coming into that new nature in Christ Jesus, He's believing. He's believing. It's not by works. It's not by legalism. It's not by religiosity. It's just by believing. Hallelujah. That's that's that scripture I read is Galatians three, verse twenty-two. So now we've talked about the charge. What the charge is, and the charge is, you know, is on everybody. Is on both Jews and Greeks. And secondly, the reason for the charge is is that it's necessary to create a basis for inclusion and remove the excuse of exclusion. And secondly, it's it, it, it was necessary to the end that we may inherit the promise of faith in Jesus by believing. Bible says that he has broken the middle wall of partition and he has made in, him, he has made in himself, you know, he has created in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace. Jesus creates a new humanity and creates a new pathway to God. You know, I remember from some months ago, one of these days when we went to evangelism and I met a beautiful Christian, sorry, a beautiful Muslim lady, a young lady. And, you know, we had, funnily, we had met a guy before we met her. We met, we met her, we met that guy and that guy was like, he just had a wall and, you know, he just kept on, you know, looking at us strangely and just kept on telling us he's busy, he's busy, he's busy. Ah. I know pastor has, pastor has always told us that, you know, when people reject the gospel, they're not, reject, they're not rejecting you, actually. They're actually rejecting, rejecting the message. So don't, don't feel bad. Dust yourself off and, and go again. So uh, and so we dusted ourselves off, you know, we dusted the reproach. <laughs> and, you know, we're even excited to receive reproach from God. And we dusted off the reproach and then we went and thankfully we met another, another, Christian, another Muslim lady and we started to engage the Muslim lady in the conversation. And you know, one of the reasons, one of the things she said was, Oh, you cannot win us over, you cannot win me over to your side. Uh, and I sort of wanted to understand what she meant by you cannot win me over to your side. And, and, and you know, what she meant was, you know, um, you know, Abraham gave birth to Isaac and Ishmael, and then so we are from Ishmael, and then you are you are you are well, you Christians are from Isaac, and so you, you do not want to win us over to your side, that you cannot win us over to your side. And so I started to explain, you know this exact truth that so yes it's true that christianity the heritage of christianity can be traced to judaism but jesus in, is, in, is in himself christ the infrastructure of christ and the framework of christ is a new man is new it's, he created a new way to god so what he did was to bring both jews and greeks of which muslims or whatever unbelievers into that pathway of God, into that pathway of God. And, you know, thankfully, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the time we were done, myself and my partner, by the time we were done speaking to her, you know, she gave her life to Christ. 
she gave her life to Christ to the glory of God because she got to understand that you know it's it's not about winning one person over to one side or the other side. It's really that Jesus is newness. It it creates a new pathway and establishes a new relationship with God, where God is our Father and we are God's children. You know the Jews could never have believed. You could never. It was blasphemy for you to tell the Jews that you you are God's son or because to them it's equating you and God as one. But in Christ, that is that is essentially the first thing that Christ came to introduce, is that we are, God is our father and we are his children. So, it, you know, it cannot be father from, 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 from Judaism. So we're going to go right now to the basis of the church. And, and one of the things we see here as we look at scripture is that the church is actually inherited. The church is not, this charge of sin on um, Jews and Greeks alike is an inherited charge. It's not a causal effect. It's not something that, um, it's not a charge that you were laid with because you had done something wrong. It's a charge you inherited. You know, Job 15 verse 14 says, what is man that he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. So as long as you have the interaction of a man and a woman to give birth to a child, that child is already charged with sinner status because he inherited it. Praise God. So every charge on a sinner is essentially because he inherited it through the interaction of blood. And the only reason why, one of the reasons why Christ was without sin wasn't because he did not commit any sin. Of course, he did not commit any sin. But the primary reason why Christ was without sin was because he boycotted the process of the charge of sin. So he boycotted that process because the Holy Spirit was what overshadowed Mary to give birth to Jesus. There was no interaction of a man and a woman to give birth to Jesus. If there was an interaction of a man and a woman, then, then Christ could not, could not essentially have been without sin. Because sin is first actually the nature of it. Hallelujah. Although for Adam and Eve, it was a causal effect because they did something wrong, disobeying God, and then they were, you know, they died. But from Adam up until tomorrow, everybody that is born is already charged with sinner status. You know, I remember um, I was listening to a message by Andrew Womack and he began to say that, you know, when he was, when he was, you know, before he got saved, it was a moral dude, it was, he stuck to the letter, he did not smoke, he did not drink, did not abuse anybody, he didn't do anything, you know, and so he was, when he, when, when he got to the point where he was going to be saved, there was a bit of pride, you know, sort of like he had an equity to contribute, you know, I've not done anything really, so God, you're not really saving me a lot, you're only saving me small, only small saving, that's what you're doing, just small saving because, you know, I've done, I've done a lot, I've kept myself pure, since all these days, I've not done any action. I've not committed anything wrong, you know. So I'm, I'm really coming to this salvation. It's not really, it's not just the blood of Jesus that is washing me. There is also something about my history and how I've kept myself pure that is contributing to this salvation. And of course, God now began to teach him and began to show him how the righteousness of, of man is a filthy rag. Is as a filthy rag before him, and how that if he lives from, if he lives, um morally right or upright from now to one million years from now, he will still be a sinner. He is still a sinner. The reason why he's a sinner is because he carries the nature of sin, pure and simple. He carries that inherent nature of sin. 
And so, of course, when he saw that, I mean, he broke down and uh, indeed he gave his life to Christ and he sort of renewed his understanding. And I, I'm sure that encounter with God also strengthened, you know, the faith and the grace message that Andrew Womack is known for. You know, so there is a concept in biology called genotype and phenotype, right? Genotype is, you know, when a man and a woman, you know, have sexual intercourse, there is a mix of, you know, we know the process, right? What happens is a mix of and a mix of chromosomal traits, right? That now forms the genetic makeup of the new child. So that new child already carries the genetic profile of that child already carries everything that it has taken, that child has taken from the mother and from the father. He already carries it. So there is sort of no new, so after a child is born, there is no new genetic profile that you want to give that child that you don't already have, except a word of what is going on now with genetic engineering and the likes. But ordinarily, naturally, that child already has the complete genetic profile that he needs to sustain himself. And that genetic profile comes part from his mother and part from his father. But what you now begin to see is as that child is small, you would not see the child is young, child is probably like some months old. You would not see the child, you know, being as tall as his father or being, you know, being or she having the eyelashes of her mother or she having the fat nose like a like a grand, you know, a, a, a grandmother from a maternal side. You wouldn't see all of all those things. But what happens is in the passage of time, those genetic traits now begin to find expression. They now begin to find expression. So within the right circumstance and at the right time, those phenotypic traits now start to show. But the it would be an aberration for us to think that the reason why those things are showing now when the child is maybe 14 or 10 or 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 20 is because that's when that is just when the 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 trait was transferred from their mother to their from whether the child's mother or the child's father to the child. No, that trait has always been there. That trait was not waiting for the right circumstance in terms of probably time. Some for some people, it, it can even be that some things you know you don't get. You're not you're in Nigeria. You're not bowed. Your hair is not receding, and suddenly you travel to somewhere where the you know it's, it's so cold and because of that ash environment, your grandfather was bowed. He now starts to you know descend on you, and you now start to you know the hair now starts to shift back. There is no magic that you know the barber would do. The thing just continues to shift back because it's now. For some people, it's time that activates it. For some people, it's an environment that activates it. But those phenotypic traits begin to show. So for a natural man as well, their sin nature was already decided before they came on the scene because it's a, it's a blood thing. It's a blood thing. So it's already decided before they came on the scene. It's already by reason of interaction. And so because it is blood-induced, the only way it can be removed and it can be annulled is by blood. It's not by acting right. It's not by, you know, aligning ourselves to the right thing. It's only by blood, you know, by blood transfusion or blood exchange. So we're going to be reading that verse 9 again. Wow, time is really gone. Amplified Bible says that, the Amplified Version says, Well then, are we Jews better off than they? It says not at all. For we have already charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under the control of sin and subject to his power. So we are talking about the sin nature. Now we're talking about the sin nature for the natural man. For the natural man. So, you know, Amplified, um, uh, you know, expands this thought. to say that 
this charge on that sin that we are talking about speaks to two things the control of sin and uh, the subjection to the power of sin so there is the control of sin and there is the subjection to the power of sin and the control of sin only applies to a non-believer a natural man someone that is not saved that person is under the control of sin because sin again it is the inherent nature of everybody that is not saved so the control of sin for an unbeliever is the inherent nature of sin that then compels him under the right circumstance to choose evil to choose evil to choose something that is not according to the will of god under the right circumstance under the right circumstance also somebody thought he's saying oh you know this person is good this person there's nothing there's 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 nothing wrong with this person you know you know this person is very kind yes the person is not an, uh, 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 an unbeliever but you know the person is the person is okay i mean yes the person is okay but for for so let me let me draw this distinction so i bring this point home for a believer a believer doesn't have the nature of sin so a believer is not controlled by sin so a believer has an overriding protocol in him or in her to reject the invitation of sin. We have the overriding protocol because we have the Holy Spirit in us. So when sin brings an invitation, a suggestion, you know, the suggestion of sin, we have a, a, a spirit in us that can restrain us and constrain us, that can call us to order. But that faculty is not available in unbelievers. And so because that faculty is not available in unbelievers, you, you actually do not know what that unbeliever can do under the right circumstance. When I say right circumstance, I'm saying like the worst circumstance, the bad circumstance and bad timing. Under a bad circumstance and bad timing, this unbeliever might just be compelled to choose evil. And that evil might seem right because that unbeliever or the natural man has an inherent nature of sin. Praise God. So an unbeliever does is not under the control. A believer, rather, is not under the control of sin. But believers can bring, we can bring ourselves under the subjection of the power of sin, depending on what we yield ourselves to, depending on what we willfully choose by, by willfully choose by our actions. So Romans six from verse twelve to fourteen says that. Therefore, do not let sin win in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, because you are not under the law, but you are now under grace. So, as believers, we are no longer under the law. So, sin doesn't have dominion, or sin, we are not under the control of sin. But we can let or not let sin have reign over us, depending on what we do. So if a believer makes a habit out of sinning or doing things that are contrary to the life that he carries on the inside, what he does is that you begin to reinforce the reign of sin. We begin to reinforce the reign of sin in our lives. So when we choose things, when we choose things that are not edifying when we choose things that are not in alignment with the life that we carry on our inside what we do is we begin to invite the rain and we begin to invite sin to come and sit on the on the on the seat of our heart and the problem with the choice of sin or a sinful activity is 
the more we exercise our ability to and choice to commit sin, the more we deepen ourselves in the clutches of it. So if you receive an invitation to a sinful act, for example, an invitation to gossip, an invitation to watch um, unwholesome content, you know, that invitation, and that invitation can be a prompt while you're browsing. It can be a, a group of friends gathering together, and you are sort of, you are sort of almost tempted to, you know, to join them in slander or to join them in libeling somebody or libeling something. That's an invitation of sin, and you must be must recognize it for what it is, an invitation of sin. So if you are not at that moment, if you do not exercise the choice and the restraint to say no. What, you've, what we've done is that we've paid a down payment for your yes to the same invitation of sin in the future. So if you, you allow yourself to, you know, to align with this invitation and, for example, you watch an awesome content, what it eventually means is that you have reduced your barrier against that same invitation in the future. So your yes to sin or our yes to sin today it's a down payment and a guarantee for our yes to sin tomorrow. It's a, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee and a down payment because you have, you have reduced your barrier. Now you are more acclimatized to it. Now it's less harmless. Now you are, you are sort of saying, oh, okay, you know, I know this thing. I know this. I know this part. I know the anatomy of this particular scene. You know, I know how to stop a particular video. I know the places, you know, in this video where there is, you know, on Netflix, you have seen that it's, they say, highly sexual content, very nude, you know, uh, swear words and all of that. And then you say, you know, when we just get to that particular frame, I'll just fast forward it. So you've done that, you've, ag you've accepted that invitation. And then the next time, and that invitation comes again, and that suggestion comes again, what happens that you then say, mm, you know, I'm strong. You know, I mean, I prayed, I, I just finished that 30, 30 day fast now prayer. This thing cannot really affect me. You know, let me just watch. Let me just, you know, watch it. You know, this thing doesn't, it doesn't really. And you keep on reducing the barrier, 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 up until the time that you now are subject to the reign of sin, even though you are not under the control of sin. But when, when we, when at face value, from an independent observer looks at the unbeliever and the believer and it sort of it looks like these two people are under the control of sin because they're doing the same thing but actually when you look back at the actual roots one is sinning because he cannot help it one is sinning because he can help it but he's not disciplined enough to help himself remember what pastor told us that you know a strong man is strong because he is he has come to terms with his weakness he has come, he knows that see i am weak and it's because he has come to terms with his weakness. That's why he's strong. Pastor told us that. That's why he's strong. That's why he's strong. Praise God. So the, our yes to sin today is a guarantee for our yes to sin tomorrow. And the more you reject sin, the invitation of sin today, the more you are strengthening to say no to that invitation and all of its forms tomorrow. Hallelujah. So we move on. So that's that's all of the thoughts on, on, on verse 9. So we move on to verse 10 to 18. And verse 10 to 18, you know, is just, you know, Apostle Paul further elaborating on the thought that he shared in verse 9, where he says that, you know, everyone has been charged to sin and everyone is, you know, 
every natural man, again, this Apostle Paul here is talking about natural men, whether Jews or Greeks, not, not believers. And he says every natural man is under the control of sin and under the power of sin. So he began to say from verse 10 that it is written there is none righteous and he went on and on and on and just began to explain the fact that there is none righteous, there is no one that is righteous, there is none that understands that there is, there is none that seeks after God. And he begins to say that see, on the basis of this sinful nature, people have turned aside, you know, people have become unprofitable. So no matter how you know, the book of Psalms talks about, you know, at some point, David was complaining to God and was telling God that God should observe the unbeliever, how that the unbeliever is succeeding, he's doing well, you know, he's, you know, he's doing well, he's, he's, he's making strides, making moves, you know, he's just doing well, that boy him, he's a belief, you know, he believes in God and he loves God and trusts God, but she see him, you know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't seemingly have anything to show for it. And David came to terms, I, I believe after introspection, he came to terms with what he was actually saying. And he said, you know what, actually, I do not envy these people because today they are here and tomorrow they are no more. They are no more. There is no profitability. There is no sustainable profitability in the unbelieving pathway, in the natural pathway. So we cannot, I cannot really envy a natural man. I can't envy a natural man. The fact that I carry Christ means that there is something I carry above a natural man. There's something that makes my life more profitable than a natural man. Praise God. He says there is none who does good, not one. So it's really, the Bible is saying here that you cannot really, you cannot have so so high an expectation for, for unbelievers. You can't expect them to do good, for their lives to be profitable in the long run, for them to always speak right, do right. I mean, so, some people have cultural conditioning, like Andrew Womack, for example, that makes them sort of up, morally upright. Morally upright. But you can't really sum it up and say that, you know, this guy is righteous. You know, this guy is good. This guy, you know, does good. This guy is profitable. He says, because you, you, you don't know what they can be because they have a genetic trait that can gain some sort of expression given the right circumstance and the right timing. You know, Matthew 15 verse 19, Jesus began to say that for out of the hearts, you know, of for out of that heart proceeds evil thoughts. So Jesus began to say evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witnesses, blasphemy. So the same heart that produces evil thoughts in response to its sinful nature can also produce a murder, can, can, can steal, can fornicate, can blaspheme. That same heart, that same heart, subjected to the sinful nature can graduate to these things. Obviously, we do not hope that it does graduate, but there is that possibility of a graduation. There is that possibility. Hallelujah. So we've established that sin, we do not, we, oh, the natural man on the natural man is not sinful because it did wrong. It's sinful because, um, because of his inherent nature. And so righteousness cannot be imputed by obeying the law or by doing right. Righteousness cannot be imputed by doing something right, by living right, by living morally upright. Righteousness cannot be imputed that way. The only way righteousness is imputed is also by a nature, by a, an exchange of nature, by a change of nature. That is the only way righteousness can be imputed. Praise God. And with that, that 
um, change is only provided in Christ Jesus. It's only provided in Christ Jesus. It's only provided in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And I remember um, one of these days I was having a conversation and I think it was back on, back on campus. And I was having a conversation with, you know, a colleague, you know, and she's a Christian because she's, I don't want to say she was because she's still a Christian. And that day, you know, she was, you know, she was saying that, you know, she can marry an unbeliever. She can marry someone that is not a Christian as long as it is kind, you know, it does good, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do any wrong. It's kind, is 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 good by by um by what she can see and what he has done and she so she wasn't looking at his heart to say that this guy is good because of the state of his heart because he's a changed guy she was saying that because he does good like he does good things and obviously i i don't think i the answer i gave her was 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 this right but i know what i was i know what i communicated or what the conclusion we reached i don't know if it was embraced is that you know this guy can change in the future and pastor has also taught us that you know there is the compounding effect of marriage and compounding effect of relationships in fact there is the compounding effect of relationships and so the only way there are just some down payments and the guarantees that you receive today that sort of assures you that at least we are okay because i don't know what 40 years 50 years you know if christ tarries 60 years 70 years will bring but there are just some guarantees in this, you know, relationship that makes me realize that, okay, even if we go 50 years blind into this journey, blind as it were, I can be so sure about how this thing will turn out because of what I am seeing today. And unfortunately, that thing we are seeing today is not what it does. It's not what it does from the front end. It's who it is and his nature, who she is and her nature on the back end. Who is this person inherently? Is this person a natural man? Is this person a believer? If something goes wrong, can you go and pray to God to call him to order? Can you go and talk to the Holy Spirit to convict him and so you know to sort of speak to him or speak to her as the case may be? Or are you at the mercy of this guy just doing good or this lady just doing well? Hallelujah. So righteousness is not a deed thing. And without Christ, nobody can lay claim to righteousness. Righteousness is a nature transfer and a nature exchange. Praise God. Praise God. And so, verse 9 to verse, verse 19 to verse 20 now begins to say that, you know, Apostle, Apostle Paul now begins to say that since now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may be guilty before God. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, and in, in Galatians, in Galatians, Apostle Paul began to say that, see, is, this, is, is the law, is the law bad? He says, no, the law is not bad. Is the law a sin? Sorry, it's in Romans 7. Is the law a sin? He says, no, God forbid, the law is not a sin. He says, but without the law. So how does sin now gain its phenotypic expression? Or how does, so I'm not speaking too high. 
how does sin now go from being in nature to being an activity in a natural man in a natural man how does it go from being in nature to being an act of commission or an act that you know somebody was in violation in the natural in in like in the natural right so apostle paul began to explain that progression and the reason why sin is expressed is because of rules and regulations and the knowledge of the law not because the law is sin in itself so in the law god was setting forth a framework that this is what you should not do this is what you should not do this is what you should not do. this is you know you should you shall not steal you shall not convert you shall not you know marry your neighbor's wife you shall not you know you shall not marry your sister and all of that. God began to set forth the rules that the Israelites was going to, were going to live by. But before the law came, sin was sin was inactive. It was just there as a nature. But they did not know how to express sin. They did not know what to do that was sinful because they were just living their lives, right? They were just living. They, some, some people married their sisters, some people married their mother's sisters. I mean, it was wrong because it became wrong now because the law was already reeled out. I hope you're following. It became wrong because of what the law was already, because the law was already reeled out. Hallelujah. So the law in itself introduces, uh, confirms the validity of the promise and confirms the reason why we need Jesus. Because nobody can fulfill the law in the flesh. Nobody. Nobody. The law cannot induce, we cannot continue. We cannot even fulfill the righteousness of God in the flesh. We can't do it. Because God is holy. God is just. God is pure. We can't even, when if God reels out all the, all the criteria to meet up with the kind of purity, is kind of righteousness we can't meet up with it we can't align with it so the law cannot induce it cannot it cannot promise continuity and in the law in itself is the is the justification for the introduction of jesus for the reason why we need jesus because the bible began to say that as people knew about the law and as the israelites knew about the law they, be, they began to know about sin because if they did not know that the law says do not covet, they would not know that there was something called lust. If they did not know that the law says do not lie, they would not know that there is something called lie. So what sin now began to do was it began to build the rules and regulations of the law to begin to suggest wrong behavior, to begin to suggest misalignment to the will of God. Again, because the nature is already in nature. So sin began to take occasion of that commandment, of that law, to begin to express itself, to begin to express itself in whatever it is. And the only criteria that God has set as being, as, so just, as being just in the sight of God, is belief, is believing, like we saw in Galatians 3 earlier. It's believing. So the law helps with the recognition of sin. Why did law help with the recognition of sin? The law helped with the recognition of sin because the law emphasized too much on the fake. The, the law emphasized too much on what you should not do. 
is what you should not do. This is what you should not do. Remember, the, the pastor taught us that one of the ways to teach people to live the life of Christ is not continuously bringing the fake before them. It's not continuously parading, parading the fake before them, or that this is what you should not do. He says, he said that if you expose them enough to the original, they will start to live the life of it, or they will start to do the right things because you have exposed them. So they would know if a fake appears because they are so, or we are so in tune with the original. So when we are, you don't, you don't teach somebody how to know a fake thing by constantly showing them fake because people will always, there are different variants of fake things. But just get this person so accustomed and attuned to the original, when this person sees the fake, the person will realize it. So the, the law was a lot of emphasis on what they should not do. And it was a lot of exposure to wrong, to what should not be done. And because it was an exposure to what could not be done, they had to keep they were they, they, they had to keep committing sin. They could not live above sin because they were constantly exposed to what I should not do. But Jesus now began to say in John 10, so just give me four more minutes, let me wrap up this thought. Began to say in John 10, he says that is it not written in your law that you are God's? He says, Your very law wrote something that you are you. You essentially, you are a God, a small G now. You are, you are a God. And he says, the reason he called them gods is because they are the ones to whom the word of God came. He says, and scripture cannot be broken. So he says that really, the, the expression of your true humanity is that we are all gods. Bible says that he has created man as a little lower than Elohim. But he says that the, the way your God status is activated, and that's the real image that God has created you to be is that the word of God has to come to you. Praise the name of the Lord. The word of God has to come to you. The word of God has to come. I know it's the word of God. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has to come to you. That's the only way you assume this true nature that I've called you to be. So we see in the Israelites that the combination of awareness, you know, or an awareness and exposure what he did was to awaken the internal nature of sin, inherent nature of sin in them. And so they began to do what they were naturally wired to do, not because the law is in itself wrong, not because the law is in itself bad or sin, but because sin took advantage of the law to essentially create sin or express itself. Praise God. So the unbeliever is at the mercy of false and bad exposure because there is nothing else he's constantly exposed to what he should not do or he's constantly exposed to sin and there is nothing in himself there is nothing in that unbeliever that can override the protocol of that bad exposure there is nothing but for believers there is a faculty in us the bible says it it's at the reception of the life of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit now comes to take residence in our lives. So he comes to stay in our lives. He comes to sit in our hearts. He comes to take over our lives because the word has come to us. Jesus has come to us. We've believed in him. We've confessed him with the heart. Man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We've confessed him. We've trusted in him. And the Bible says, whoever believes in him, 
I and my father will come and make our abode in him through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in us, it doesn't really tell us this is what you should not do, this is wrong, do not commit, do not commit. What the Holy Spirit begins to do, as you know, Jesus explained in John, is that it begins to lead us into all truth. He begins to expose us to the word. So he doesn't expose us to what we should not do or what we should do or, or what we should not do. If you don't do this, there is sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't, in his interaction with us, he doesn't bother with, oh, this is what you should not do. What the Holy Spirit preoccupies himself with is truth according to the word of God. So he begins to tell you who you are in Christ. He begins to encourage you to read Ephesians, read Romans, and you begin to learn this is who I am now in Christ. This is actually my God's status in Christ. And as you begin to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as you begin to read the word of God, your way begins to flow from you. The victorious life begins to flow from you. You cannot never be under the control of sin. Sin can never reign in your mortal body. You cannot even yield yourself to it because the life of God reigns in you and because you are exposed to the word of God. And so the more you are exposed to what is written, the more you are exposed to the word of God that comes to you, through the infrastructure of, I mean, we have given our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit is now resident in us. The more we begin to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more we begin to allow him through the interaction of the word of God, begin to lead us into deep truths in God's word, the more we begin to refuse and reject the suggestion of sin. And the more we begin to truly live above the law. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as we continue to fellowship with the word, just like we prayed earlier, that the word of God is opened up to us. We begin to see ourselves. The Bible says that the blessed man is a man that looks into the scripture and beholds the manner of man that he is. He says, and he goes from there and begins to live it out. I declare in the name of Jesus that through the help of the Holy Spirit, as we look into scripture, we begin to behold the manner of men that we are. And we begin to change and are transformed into the kind and the caliber of people that God has called us into. I declare that the clutches of sin is removed and banished from everybody's lives. Anybody that is suffering from any addiction, anybody that has, has surrendered himself as a slave master to sin because of what he has, you know, he has given himself to over time. We declare that our record is cleared right now in the name of Jesus. That old of sin is broken. I declare in the name of Jesus that that person begins to live free by the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for your time. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.